0: Hey, it's good to be back. I feel like I've been time traveling. Even if it's only been between a couple of time zones, it is, it is really going to be home. I want to show you a couple of pictures from that week. So I, I, on Saturday, I got to preach, or last Saturday, I got to preach at my dad's funeral up in Grand Prairie. And there uh, was a lot of people there. Probably more would have been there, but it was, it was like, what was it? Like minus 38, I think. Um. And then, so we're going to leave Sunday morning, I think some of you know this already, so we went down to the airport 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, but our flights were delayed, and then delayed, and then delayed. So my mom had really wanted us to come to church with her, so we decided last minute we showed up at the church, at People's Church, where my mom and dad went, and uh, and I'm in the middle of the worship service, just like you were now, and I got tapped on the shoulder by the pastor, who asked me if I still had my notes from yesterday. Well, not on me, I said, like think they're somewhere in my suitcase. And I'm like dressed in travel clothes. I mean, not in my sweats, but you know, anyway, so uh, he asked me, well, would you preach it? And I'm like, are you kidding? Like right now here? And, and I mean, it was a message from my dad's funeral, but he really wanted me to. So I went back over to the car and I changed my shirt and freezing minus 38 weather in the parking lot. And then I, I went back in and, and I, I, I kind of did a little bit of thinking and you know, may, tried to make it more broadly applicable and then preach the service to uh, the people's church. And you can't really see, that the crowd looks a little sparse, but it's actually a, a room that's like 180 degrees, so it's a really wide room. But also, I just want to note, for any of you who are feeling cold this morning, all those people in attendance there, it was minus 38 that morning. So yes, it was a little more sparse, but wow, those northerners, I tell you. <laughs> At that moment, having been raised up there, of course, and now moved south, I realized I really have gone completely soft <laughs> in Creston, but, but that was great, and then, uh, so our our saga coming home, we ended up flying out that afternoon from Grand Prairie, but then had to overnight in Calgary, and then we're delayed, 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 put on a different flight, then put back on the original flight, it was one of those days, and we eventually got home Monday night, only to turn around, to turn around, and then go the next day, myself, just me, to Chicago for a makeup interview, I, I was scheduled for an, uh, my second ordination interview a few weeks ago, but had postpone that, obviously, because my dad had passed away. And so then on Wednesday, I met with these fine folks from the Depor- Department of Ordered Ministry. They're just a representation of a much larger group. And uh, we had a great conversation. And yes, they approved me to be ordained. So at the end of June, I'll be going down to Omaha and, and uh, hopefully it'll be tor- tornado season because that will make it just that much more interesting. <laughs> Anyway, I want to thank thanks to Lucas for preaching last week. I'm really really thankful for that. I got to listen to him preach in my ears as I I think I was flying in from Denver to Chicago. So thanks for that, Lucas. It's good to journey with you. We're in white, uh, week three of the life of Joseph, this arrogant pretty boy who gets sold into slavery by his jealous brothers, and he's he's gifted in leadership. We we know that. Um, we see hints of that, and he serves his Egyptian master well, but. Then he's unjustly accused of sexual assault, and he's thrown into prison. You could say that life is a yo-yo for Jojo. Because that's his... Yeah, I know, that was a bit of a groaner. That's the kind of week it's been, folks. And so we'll see again today how God never forgets, never forgets his promises. And he's promised to do something through Joseph's family that has this global historical impact. And Joseph's long road has everything to do with God fulfilling that promise, even though he himself didn't realize it. He didn't know exactly what God was up to. As we heard last week uh, when Lucas shared with us, God was with Joseph every step of the way, from the pit to Potiphar to prison. God was with Joseph. But just because God was with Joseph doesn't mean that his life was all rosy and pink, the, does it is that what it meant no sometimes we can think that though it's easy for us to imagine that God's presence in our lives means that life is always going to be good but it doesn't take long to figure out that that's not the case in fact following Jesus Jesus constantly reminded us of that following him can actually increase the conflict in our lives it can actually increase difficulty some of you who are considering following Jesus are thinking I'm glad you told me that now you reconsider a little bit, and you should, because getting into this Jesus bit can really lead you into tricky situations. that also brings incredible joy into our lives. Well, at the point we pick up the story, Joseph is stuck in jail. Now, he might have risen to the position of top dog in the jail. That's all great. He's leaving the rest of the prisoners. But make no mistake about it, he's still a prisoner. His life's not his own. He can't just decide, I am tired of this prison gig. You know, I'm going to move on to another job. He can't do that. He's still a prisoner. He's still stuck there. His life's not his own. He's far away from family, cut off from family, in fact, with no hope of return. And yet God is with Joseph. And yet Joseph is not free. These things are together. So Joseph is stuck. What does he do? How does he respond to his situation? Or maybe the question is, what is God up to? Why is this going on for him? We're going to explore that today, but let me ask you first, what do you do when you feel stuck? What do you do when you're stuck? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like I, because of what's going on around me, because of the scenario that's being played out in my life, I can't really be who I'm supposed to be. You know, the true me can't come out because of you guys or whatever, you know. I'm stuck. Or I can't really be all that God has called me to be because of where I am. I I can't really grow the way I want to grow and I can't really flourish the way I want to flourish because I'm stuck in a situation that held me out. Have you ever felt that? Maybe you can think, I can think of a few people who who look at the person they married and think, yeah, my whole life is now dictated by this person. I'm stuck. (laughs) Yeah. You laugh, but it's kind of a sick laugh, right? It's like, yeah. And then I know others who feels stuck because they're single. And they feel like, oh, until I can get married, I, I feel stuck. I can't do what, what God has called me to do. What do you do when it feels like God's plans for you, or maybe your dreams for your life, are constantly frustrated by poor financial decisions that you made years ago? You're still dragging this debt load around. And you feel hampered by that. What do you do when it feels like you're stuck? When it feels like you're you're made for so much more than just changing diapers or or waiting on messy tables, or finishing boring school. Sometimes it can feel like our surroundings are crushing us. Like what's going on in our lives is essentially killing the work that God could be doing in my life. And maybe that God even wants to do through our lives in the lives of others. Well, friends, I want to tell you, if you've ever wondered that for yourself, if you've ever felt stuck, I really believe that today's message is for you. I believe there's a few of you at least here today, who this will be a game changer for you to realize how we respond in the places we're stuck, how we understand what God is up to. It it changes everything. And what's more, I think this message will be an encouragement for those of us who are with others who are stuck. Maybe we are even stuck because they're stuck. And we can also bring encouragement to them, comfort to them. So we're going to jump into the stories from Genesis, first book of the Bible. And it's a lot of the old stories are there. Genesis... 40 to 41 is what we're going to look at. And I'll read through it with a little bit of commentary along the way. So here it is. If you've got a phone or a Bible read-along, but you can just listen. It's fine. Sometime later, so he's in jail. Joseph's in jail. Uh, some time later, the cup bearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. The Pharaoh, that's the king of Egypt, was angry with his two officials the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, in case you missed it, had a dream that same night, the very same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph told them. Told them. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me? Show me kindness? Mention me to Pharaoh? Get me out of this prison? I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what this means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale you on a pole and the birds will eat away your flesh. Gee. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday. What do you do on your birthday? Yeah, okay. So he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker. Man, that is serious business. Don't bake wrong for the king of Egypt. He impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Pause there for a moment before we keep going. So Joseph serves these guys. He helps these guys. He attends these guys for some time. He then makes a significant contribution to their lives, or at least the one of their lives. Well, the other guy too. He had three days to get his affairs in order. But then he's promptly forgotten by the person he helped. What then? I mean, what do you do then? When you've served someone, you've given of your gifts, you've you've attended them, you you've been present in their lives, you've made some contribution, and then Ungrateful wretches, they don't even acknowledge you. How do you feel? Bit resentful, perhaps? Anyone? Fine. Next time I won't serve. You know? Try try seeing what I do next time you have any needs. Next time I see anybody have any needs. I learned my lesson. People don't, you know, respond. How do you respond? When you've offered, when you've served, and then you are forgotten. Maybe you get a bit angry. You begin to blame others. This is the reason why there's something wrong in the world, you know. Everything in my life is wrong because of people like them. What? How do you respond? Well, what does this do for Joseph. As we're going to see, he spends two more years in jail. Two years! Two years in jail is a long time. But two years in jail really sucks when you thought you had just gotten your get-out-of-jail-free card. Right? This is exactly what he thought. He just helped the guy who's going to be handing Pharaoh his bubbly the next day. That guy. I mean, surely, somewhere into the week, he's going to go, Oh, right. Joseph. I should mention Joseph. But no. Weeks go by. Turn into months. Which turns into a year. And by then Joseph knows. He has been completely and totally forgotten. Ungrateful. You know. Totally forgotten. What does he do? Well. People do forget. Don't they? But God doesn't. He doesn't forget. Let's keep going with chapter 41. I might, I'll summarize parts of it. Here we go. So, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. Okay, little warning, what's coming next is kind of gross because I've never seen this happen in real life, but in the dream, the cows that were ugly and gaunt—they ate the other cows. They ate the sleek, fat cows. Just think about that for a second, or don't. <laughs> then, then it's dreams, right? You know dreams are weird. So then, Pharaoh woke up. Okay, he fell asleep again and had a second dream. In this dream, seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk after them seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy heads then Pharaoh woke up it had been a dream in the morning his mind was troubled so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt Pharaoh told them his dreams but no one could interpret them for him and then the penny dropped for the cupbearer. all right he says Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servant and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house. And he talks about how they had dreams and Joseph interpreted them. and, 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 And so Joseph was called for. Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, nobody can interpret it, but I heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And then, So then Pharaoh relays to Joseph his dream, his dreams, his set of dreams. Joseph says to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They're seven years of famine. It is, as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. And during those years of famine, all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten. And famine will ravage the land, the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. And the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So then Joseph makes a suggestion to Pharaoh, you better look for somebody smart. Somebody wise. Someone with leadership skills. And so Pharaoh looks around and says, well, who can beat this guy? Can anyone find anyone like this guy in whom is the Spirit of God, Pharaoh says? Since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And it went on from there, Joseph, about 30 got in this position of leadership, got married, had some kids, and he, for the next seven years, he collected grain. He stored grain, stored grain, to the point where they couldn't even keep the records anymore. There was just so much grain stored up, so much abundance. But then the famine hit. And when the famine hit, people got hungry. And at a certain point, they began to cry out for food. And then Pharaoh said, go to Joseph and do what he says. And so he began to give out, sell out grain, to the people of Egypt, but also the people of the whole known world because the famine extended beyond the borders of Egypt. The whole known world around Egypt began to come to Egypt for grain. And that's where chapter 41 ends. So from pit to Potiphar to prison to palace. You like that? Come on, people. It's right there in the text. I'm not making up peas here. (laughs) Every step of the way, God is with Joseph. Joseph. But how do God's priorities bear out in Joseph's life? How do they bear fruit in ours? I want to look at three ways that God never forgets his priorities that are evident in this story and I think evident in our lives. So first of all, God prioritizes the development of Joseph's gifts. And he uses Joseph's prison sentence to do it. It's in prison that Joseph fully develops his gifts of wise, caring leadership. Something that was already hinted out early in the story. Something that was already developed in Potiphar's house. But it's there in the prison that it was really deepened. Also, his gifts of dream interpretation. Something that we saw, again, hinted out in his early story. But now we see them coming to bear. You know, in Joseph's story, um, three sets of two dreams are featured, right? If you read the story, you see that. In the first dream set, when Joseph's still back at home, it foretells his role of leadership. That's what it points to. But it doesn't give any indication of the kind of suffering he's going to have to experience in order for that to be fulfilled. That's not there. In fact, in his immaturity, Joseph does what a lot of young gifted leaders do. He makes the dreams all about him. And all about you, you know in that sense. Look at how great I'm going to be. Not realizing the road that he's going to have to follow. And Ironically, I think, ironically, it's his own brazen immaturity and his lack of social skills that kind of pushed his brothers over the brink and ended up getting him in slavery in the first place. God does work with us, doesn't he? Well, the second dream set we heard today with both its favorable and its ill-favored interpretations with this cupbearer and this chief baker. And this time, a different Joseph response. By now, he's suffered much, he's learned much, and he uses his gifts now to serve those who are under his care. His leadership gift, his responsibility to serve, he notices their distress and he seeks to help them, not knowing that it's a dream involved at first. And then he's able to use this interpretive gift the ability that God has given him to interpret dreams, to make sense of their futures, even if it means that one of the fellows is actually doomed and the other will be released. And I think this represents something significant in Joseph's development. He realizes now that the gifts aren't about him anymore, but rather he's able to use his gifts for others. He's able to be helpful to them, even if he is at the same time hopeful with the one fellow that he'll put in a good word, and maybe that will result in a change of his situation. And then, of course, there's the third dream set, which took a whole lot longer coming than he had hoped, or at least he didn't know about the dreams, but the change that came because of it. But eventually Joseph is remembered, and the day that God has been preparing Joseph for all along finally arrives. All along, all those days he spent serving in Potiphar's house, all those days he spent in the prison, years in the prison, wondering what was going on, like where was his life going to go, and how is this all going to work out? But now he's ready for the role that God has been preparing him for, that God has called him into. His gifts have been honed and developed. He no longer thinks they're all about him. Now he's ready to put his gifts to use to someone greater, for a greater concern, which is, of course, what God's priority was all along. That he would have placed one of his own in this place of authority and leadership so that he might preserve his people, so that he might bless the nation of Egypt as well as the Hebrew people, so that he might fulfill his promise. But don't miss this. Developing Joseph's gifts, leadership and dream interpretation in this case, administration maybe you could add to that. Developing those gifts was a key priority. God never forgot it. And it was through this long journey that God used to develop him. Second, and this has already been hinted at, but I want to make it explicit, God prioritizes Joseph's character growth as well. This is really, really important. You know, when Joseph was an arrogant, privileged papa's boy, strutting around in his coat, He was not ready for the role that God needed him to play in salvation history. His gifts might have been evident, but his character was lacking. And put into a position like that before he was ready, he would have ended up being a tyrant, not a savior. His long, hard road to Egypt... His coming of age in Potiphar's house. Both his rising leadership responsibilities as well as his struggle to live with integrity in the face of exploitation and injustice. And now his hidden years in prison, learning more leadership, growing in humility, becoming more discerning and serving and grace-filled. All of this God uses to grow Joseph up. And I think it's worth reflecting on. It's worth noting that without these experiences, without these difficulties, without these long days of wondering if God had forgotten him, without all those days, Joseph could not have become the person that God had called him to be. He could not have served God's priorities the way that God needed him to serve. I think you can take that home and think about it, right? Especially when we find ourselves stuck. Through these long years of hiddenness and difficulty and service and leadership, God prioritized Joseph's personal growth, his personal maturity. And third, God prioritizes his big promise. To cap off what we've been saying all the way through, it's in the king's prison, divinely arranged even with Joseph's original slave placement in the house of Potiphar. God positions at the right time the right prisoners to accomplish his largest priority of all, which is to fulfill his promise to, remember Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham, his promise that he had given to Abraham that he would bless his family, and that through his family he would in turn bless all the nations of the world. This promise that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis 12, remember it arcs over the whole story of God's people and is ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. But along the way we see God attending to his big priority, keeping in mind the big story and how Joseph fits into that. That's how we read any of the old covenant stories. All these little stories, they need to be synced up to God's big story so we understand how God is working out his plan and history. And in Joseph's life, we see God prioritizing his promise first at the level of Joseph's immediate family. What we'll see as the story rolls out is that Joseph's placement enables the salvation, as it were, of his immediate family. It also has the larger effect of blessing the Egyptian nation. It it, it creates a cocoon in which the Hebrew people can grow and become a nation eventually, hundreds and hundreds of years later. But ultimately and most importantly, it enables the coming of Jesus through this people who will be the blessing to all the nations. This is God fulfilling in Jesus, Israel's ultimate destiny and his promise. And every step of the way, God doesn't forget this priority. Even in all the nitty-gritty bits of Joseph's story, God doesn't forget his priority. To save the world through Jesus. So, God never forgets his priority to grow Joseph up so that he can use his gifts to serve God's biggest plan. Well, how does that connect with us? What are we to do with that personally? I'm sure you're already making some of the connections. I don't even need to say much more to some of you, I know. I think this story really does alert us to how our personal suffering and struggle and situations, how they can be interpreted within God's commitment. To his priorities. And here's the point. God does prioritize you. But you may not always like how it looks. He does prioritize you and me. Sometimes you wish he wouldn't. Because the way that priority looks in our lives can be frightening, can be difficult, can be scary. We discover that God prioritizes our growth and our service far more than he prioritizes our comfort and our security. Ouch. I really wish, God, you would prioritize my comfort a little more. Don't we say that? I mean, God, I'd like to feel a little more secure, please. And God's saying, yeah, but I really want you to grow, and you don't grow if you feel secure. You don't grow if you feel comfort. Come on. How does that help us? Well, for one thing, I think it helps us to lean into what God is actually doing instead of what we wish He would do. This means that when we feel stuck and forgotten, we refuse to just curl up in the fetal position and and instead we choose to lean into character growth. And instead of asking over and over again, why is this happening to me? Who can I blame for this? How can I get out of here? Instead of that, we begin to ask Him, what can I learn, Lord? What are you trying to teach me? How can I grow through this? Lord, what do you want to change in me instead of, please, Lord, change my situation? Now, this doesn't mean, hear me right, this doesn't mean that we don't cry out to God in our struggle and in our difficulty. Of course we do. But it does mean that in those times of waiting... In those times of hiddenness and those times of difficulty, we can hold on to God's faithfulness, knowing that God's ultimate priority to grow us up in Christ and to make us mature, to develop gifts in us to be used in service to others and His big plan, that He might take a lot longer doing that than we would have liked. Pre-pit, pre-prison Joseph. Boy, I try to say that. Joseph, before all these things happened, he couldn't have ruled himself, let alone all of Egypt. You don't just step into that kind of position without some preparation, do you? And God had been preparing him. And you and I, prior to the work that God does in us Through times of waiting, through times of difficulty, through times when we're stuck, that work that God does in us, we need it because we can't be ready for what God has for us either. Second, knowing that God never forgets his priorities helps us also get beyond ourselves in the service of others. Here's a principle you can take home with you. Whenever you feel stuck, get serving. Whenever you get stuck, get serving. I know that kind of sounds terrible, doesn't it? I know. But instead of isolating ourselves in our pain, instead of circling in, the call of God is to actually expand ourselves out. To look at our situation and use the gifts that God has given us. And I think this is important even if it is somewhat counterintuitive that when we're in a difficult relationship or when our job sucks or we feel overlooked or undervalued, we tend to fo- focus inwards. We, we tend to, to, to curl up and begin to focus on our own slights or our own problems or our own issues. Whenever we're in some kind of difficulty, whether it's with our own children or some pain in our lives or some conflict that's occurring, we can easily become protective and self-absorbed. We can become obsessed with resolving our own crisis. But the call of God is actually to serve where we're stuck. Not to wait until we're unstuck to serve. You hear that? The call of God is to serve where we're stuck, as opposed to waiting to be unstuck so that we can serve. And in fact, because God is with us in a a much greater, more profound sense than he ever was with Joseph. Just a little side note. You know, God actually... Is willing to come, and he does come and live inside anyone who says yes to Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. That means that any follower of Jesus has more of the Holy Spirit than Joseph could ever have dreamed. He had none. He had no he had a fraction. God was with him, yeah, but in a far greater sense, He is with us. He's in us as a community and as individuals. And so, with that in mind, we're able to embrace our places of suffering, our places of stuckness, as places of service in a way that ends up transforming both the suffering and the service. Knowing that God's Spirit is in us and with us means that wherever we are, we can actually look around and ask, God, who are you calling me to serve? Who needs to be loved? Who needs to be noticed? Who needs to be helped? We can use the gifts that God has given us and the influence that he's granted us wherever we are to help others who are in their own suffering, to help kids mature, to help gifts develop, to help lives flourish and and people grow. And friends, I think that's a really profound God thing. That even in places where we suffer or we're stuck, God can use us to serve. We discover something surprising when that happens, something that we often only see afterwards, that our service in places where we're stuck leads us to love people who would never have been served, who would never have been noticed. God uses us in ways that we never would have expected. I mean, could it be that you, when you consider the place where you feel stuck, could it be that God has placed you uniquely placed you in a in a position to serve people in the name of Jesus, people who would otherwise have been overlooked, who no one else knows, people who really do think that God has forgotten them. Let me use a very personal example. My dad and my mom. You know, at dad's funeral, I was privileged to lead the worship with a group of musicians that I played with for a long time. It was fun. And to proclaim our resurrection hope in Jesus. And I was privileged to do that. My dad fought cancer for many years. In particular, uh, he fought multiple myeloma for the last 12 years. And, And through these years, obviously, we asked God to heal him. I believe that God heals, but God didn't. God allowed dad to live much longer than was expected with very few of the nasty side effects that can come along with treatment and with cancer. But in the end, his body finally succumbed. And my dad's of course with Jesus now. He's awaiting his new creation resurrection body that Jesus has guaranteed to him through his own resurrection. That's what I preached about at the funeral. But for many years, my dad was stuck with a disease that he didn't want. Obviously. No one wants cancer. And my mom was stuck there with him. Years of chemotherapy, years of experimental drugs, um, years of steroids and sleeping pills and blood transfusions over and over again. And let me ask you, if Jesus heals the sick, and we can ask him, and we did, and my dad was sick, then how come Jesus didn't heal him? We asked why didn't Jesus simply touch him and the cancer be gone? Well, as with many difficult questions, um, you know, full answer, that's going to have to wait, right? But a partial answer started to emerge. One that I take great heart from, so does my family, so does my mom, and it's this. God was able to do more through my dad and his suffering than through his healing. I don't say that lightly. God was able to do more through my dad in his suffering than through his healing. The, the, the God was actually doing this, came out kind of gradually over the last decade, but came into a really sharp focus in the last couple of years. You see, all through the cancer battle, my mom and my dad were constantly loving and serving both the staff who treated them, as well as other cancer patients they met along the way. This is a great picture of my dad, all these <laughs> nurses are around him. And he's he's holding up his hands and saying, come and get me, is what he's saying there. <laughs> that was a shot from a couple of years ago. It's one of my favorites. But deep friendships were formed. And Jesus' love and grace was shared. Mom and dad would pray with other patients, many of whom were far away from home, lots who were far away from Jesus, many who were deeply, deeply afraid. I want to mention just three of these friendships, but there were many, many more like this, okay? First, a young man who lived near my parents knocked on the door one day. He was terrified because he himself had received a frightening cancer diagnosis. Mom and dad loved on this guy, listening to him, uh, just just being with him, sharing the hope we have in Christ, praying for his healing. They continued to, to walk with him through his treatment and he's doing quite well now. He has one more treatment and he, he's doing well. I'll never forget the look in his eyes as us, us as a family, right after I'd finished preaching, as, and then led a song as I was walking out on Saturday, the sign uh, uh, the sight of him and his wife just weeping and weeping and weeping because of the loss of my dad, who had loved him through this uh, terrifying experience for him and loved him like the father he didn 't have, and I had to ask myself like would dad and Mum have ever been able to minister to this young man in the same way if my dad had just been healed? A couple years ago, my mum and my dad met a young indigenous mother of six at the Cross Cancer Institute in uh, our clinic in Edmonton. Uh, she'd been flown from the remote northern community of Fox Lake. She'd been flown to high level and then put on a bus from high level to Edmonton, if you can imagine. She'd been treated for stomach cancer she was all alone nobody was there for her or with her and my mom and dad fell in love with her and she fell in love with them and they spent many hours together and in her final months um, not very long ago dad and mom made a special trip to Edmonton dad was in between treatments he was doing quite well at the time and they went there just to see her and in her last hours um, she could barely move she was in unbearable pain she was curled up on the bed And mom and dad surrounded her and they they held her and they they prayed for God's grace to cover her and to be in her. And she died a few days later. And I had to ask like this woman who was so alone. Mom and dad would never have known her. And the love that they were able to show her and the grace they were able to give to her was such a gift. One more story. I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional, but this time about another young mom. She's 29, and she visited us. Got a picture there of her. Visited us in the Prairie Lake Hospice in Dad's final days. That was probably my last, my Dad's last sort of good day. He actually got him up in a wheelchair on on Friday or Saturday. Anyway, um, she's right in the middle of her own cancer battle. Uh, my mom and dad met her at the Grand Prairie Cancer Clinic, and uh, over the last year they became very close. She doesn't know Jesus yet, although she told her mom. She said, "Mom, because of Judith, I'm in greater danger of going to church than I ever have been." <laughs> Which I, <that> was great. <laughs> yeah. And this coming week, tomorrow, after months of chemo, and she's sporting only a peach fuzz on her on her uh, because of her hair loss, she's going to be undergoing further surgery and. Who's going to be there this week when she wakes up? Well, yeah, her family, but also my mom. My newly widowed mom is going to be there, walking with her in the days that are ahead. Friends, (laughs) make no mistake about it. God was able to reach more people through my dad's suffering than through his healing. Or rather, he was able to reach more people who would not have been reached, who might have been overlooked. Who in their suffering would have wondered, is there a God who remembers me? And because of my mom and dad, they know. Over the years, it's become very clear to my mom. My mom, uh, just don't tell her I said this when she visits, but you know, she's always been more of the pray and believe it type for everything. And and, and and yet God gave my mom a special confidence in these last few years, a, a deep sense that God was actually at work in a bigger way than just dad's healing. That God was in fact using this experience of suffering and struggle, maybe even using the lack of physical healing to bring about a much greater and a much more difficult spiritual healing in the lives of others. And that there are many, many people both the staff and other patients alike who would not have come to know the love of Jesus for them, who would never have heard of the hope of resurrection if mom and dad hadn't served in the place they were stuck. And that inspires me, folks. <laughs> I hope it inspires you. God never forgets His priorities. Even when we can't figure it out, even when we don't know how it's going to work, even when we feel stuck in the dark, God never forgets His priorities. Will God leave you in an unwanted situation for the sake of growing you up and developing you further? (laughs) Friends, I hate to tell you this, but yeah, He loves you that much. He never forgets His priority to help you mature. Will God allow suffering and difficulty so that you're better able to serve others who are also suffering in the same situation? Yeah, He will. He never forgets his priority to reach others with his love through you. Joseph had to grow up in prison so that he could play his part in God's plan to save his people, which served his ultimate plan to bring Jesus through this people and save the whole world through him. It all connects up to that larger story and so do we. God is still fulfilling His biggest promise to restore His world through Jesus. And He's working it out through you and me. He's working it out through us. He's working it out through His people, the church. So let me ask you, what's your prison? Where are you stuck? What situation feels impossible to you that you would love Jesus to just swoop in and rescue you like yesterday? resolve this come on how could this possibly be good for anybody maybe that's your marriage maybe it's your job maybe it's your school maybe it's a mental illness maybe it's a situation that you are just coming to realize is going on you know, i don't know could it be that jesus is at work right where you are could it be that he's calling you to grow up to serve others and to trust His faithfulness, could it be that He's doing something in you and through you that you may never fully understand until resurrection, like my own dad? God is that big, you know. And so when we're feeling ground down, it could be God's call to grow up. When we're feeling like stuck in a prison, it could be that God is commissioning you to serve the people who are stuck in that prison right alongside of you when you feel like you've been forgotten by everyone, we can remember and take hope in the fact that God never forgets. And he's uniquely positioned you to help others so that they know that he hasn't forgotten them either. And so I, I want you to take heart to remember that wherever you are, whatever your prison is, That in your job or your cancer or your marriage or your home, even in your own hidden, seemingly overlooked life, that you are loved by a God who never forgets and that He is with you, that He's working His salvation out in you and through you for the blessing of others. God never forgets.